Flat, right in front of us. Back wheel, back wheel, you could have heard that. Furiously swapping out. That is a drill you hear, taking the through axles out. Big push. And he's off. That was only about 30 seconds, not, not too bad for a through axle wheel change. And just sealant everywhere. Welcome back to a special episode of Geek Warning. The audio you just heard was taken or recorded at the exit of the Arnberg Forest at Paris-Roubaix on Sunday, the men's race. Uh, Ronan, you and I were standing there, standing at the exit of the Arnberg, watching all of the chaos unfold. You also took quite a uh, extensive tour around the pits that morning. So, as you can probably guess, the the purpose of this episode is to do a deep, deep dive into some of the classics tech that you dug up, we dug up, mostly you, uh, last last week in Belgium and northern France. So, welcome to the pod, Ronan. Thank you. Yeah, uh, good, what, 10 days we were in Belgium and France, at uh, Flanders first and then Roubaix, and yeah, plenty of, plenty of sort of Cobble classic specific tech that we uncovered over the last uh, two weeks. Plenty of galleries up on the website now. If anybody hasn't seen them, worth uh, worth checking out. And and more still landing on almost daily basis. So uh, I think we kind of thought that a podcast to discuss some of that uh, might be might be worthwhile. And especially sort of discussing some of the the trends that we seem to have spotted this year in the in the in the Cobble classics and I sort of stumbled on my words there but because uh previously especially at Roubaix of course the the big thing was tires tire pressure but also different bikes and suspension systems and quasi suspension and, and all that sort of thing that just seemed to be almost entirely missing this year or conspicuous by its absence so I think we're going to delve into a couple of topics like that on this podcast and yeah let's kick off with kind of the biggest the biggest topic, which is exactly what you were just mentioning, which is uh, there was no like funky suspension. There was no, uh, there wasn't even that much like double wrap bar tape. <laughs> A lot less than in previous years. Uh, you know, Trek Segafredo, the men's team, are running Madones, uh, which is their aero bike, obviously not the most comfortable bike in that range. This is a pretty huge departure from what we were seeing like even last year or two years ago, uh, it's it's essentially a change that is accelerating really fast. And I'm curious, you know, when you speak with mechanics, when you chat with riders and, and technical staff, like what is the reasoning behind the way things are, are going? Yeah, well, uh, I suppose good place to start is with Trek because the women's squad there, they were on the new Domani, which I think originally came about, what, a decade ago or so now, and was a bike specifically designed, well, not it was, it was an endurance bike, but it was marketed heavily as a bike specifically designed for Roubaix, uh, and has, you know, enjoyed quite a bit of success in Roubaix down through the years, and of course won the first two editions of uh, Paris-Roubaix Femme, and, and the women's team were still using that new Domani this year, but as early as Wednesday when we joined the women's team for their recon ride, the the 
the track staff were, were already telling us look the the men will not use the, the money they will use the new madone uh, for roubaix on on sunday specifically because they reckon that the speeds now are so high in roubaix and this year was the fastest on record which beats last year's race which was previously the fastest on record uh that the, by a whole kilometer per hour which yeah. is which is wild like was it 46 something now it's wild especially considering how shocked we were about how fast last year's was like last year's race was on from the start there was a huge split that i think vanderpool and a few others had missed uh and this year was on from the start for for different reasons there just was no split no breakaway um but anyway the 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 point still stands that they anticipated that it was going to be a very very fast race and at those speeds they reckon the aero benefit from the aero specific bike uh, is a is of is is, a, is more beneficial than the compliance or comfort or, or whatever they're getting from the from the endurance or more comfort oriented oriented bike. Which kind of brings up a, a much larger topic. It's actually what we were chatting about right before we hit record, which is that the bikes as they get more. I shouldn't say the bikes. Uh, the bits on the bikes, the <laughs> tires mostly, <laughs> uh, as they get more, uh, I don't know, competent in, in tackling the really nasty cobblestones of Paris-Roubaix, uh, the whole bike itself sort of becomes uh, much more able to to tackle that particular challenge. And it actually, this is going to sound crazy, uh, it makes the race in some ways easier right uh or at the very least it makes it play out slightly 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 differently it, to the to the point where you know when we were talking with teams last week they were saying that the the, the emphasis on the particularly bad sectors so so most of the sort of aremberg and carrefour has gone up because those sectors that were in the middle those those, those two or three star sectors they just aren't enough to make a difference anymore because the tires are so much more capable of, of handling cobblestones. And that's not really all that surprising for anybody who has uh, ridden Roubaix on a number of different setups over the years. I, I count myself as one of those people, which is I've ridden it on 25s, uh, which was dumb, and 28s, which was terrible, uh, and more recently on 30s and 32s. And it is a, a hugely dramatic difference in sort of the way that you're able to ride the cobbles and also essentially the difference that they make between riders. So it, it, it elevates the importance of some of these really nasty sectors. It decreases the importance of some of those sort of middling sectors. And, and the other sort of result of it is that you end up looking to other places to find your marginal gains, which is why, you know, you've got Trek running Madones in the men's race. One, because they've got 160K of, of pavement before they hit the cobbles. And two, because even once they hit the cobbles, they're not slowing down as much as they used to. Uh, and a lot of them are, are essentially ridden like like they were pavement these days, which is which is wild. Yeah, um, I think I think that, that was first evident to me, what was it, two years ago now, the October edition in 2021, when Continental had released their new GP5000 STR right before Roubaix. And at least in my mind, and I could be entirely wrong about this, but at least in my mind, that was like the first time that a somewhat lightweight, fast rolling tire that teams were happy to use a week earlier in the time trial world championships were the same tires that teams were rolling out for Roubaix, albeit in different widths. But uh, that was certainly the first time I remember this, basically the same tire being used for 
a TT World Champion and uh, the winner of Roubaix uh, in the same in the same season. And so, well, I agree that the the modern bikes and modern frames, I probably should say, are getting so much more capable across you know and and are are you know it was effectively standard frames that took first, second, and third on the podium in both races over the weekend. I still think that there's, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, maybe that's why I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, I still th- I think that there's maybe an overemphasis on aero here and uh, the teams are perhaps leaving a bit in terms of uh, just reducing the fatigue on the rider by neglecting these sort of comfier setups for, for lack of a better term. And my reason for thinking that is just, if you took the Roubaix course, took all the cobbles out of it, 260k from Compiègne to Roubaix, tarmac the whole way, it's a guaranteed bunch sprint every single time. But because these cobble sectors are added in, we're still seeing every single year, literally ones and twos coming into the finish line, minutes between them, uh, the best riders in the world is on their absolute hands and knees. And that tells me that comfort and compliance and just reducing the amount of fatigue the rider is is suffering is still the number one player add in all the extra elements like the just the, the variability of riding across the cobbles the you know just all the chaos that ensues there and i just don't know how much of a benefit arrow could be once you get into the final you know once you had that first sector of cobbles from that point onwards i don't know how much of a benefit arrow could be and i would be very surprised if the aero benefits of the first 160k outweigh what they're losing in the in the second 100 odd k of of the race so i've no data to back that up that's just my sort of gut gut feeling um i kind of feel the same about sort of tire pressures and tire widths and that that the the teams are choosing uh especially those running narrower tubs um and there's a whole host of reasons we can go into for why they might choose tubs over tubeless but i the more i see the bikes of roubaix looking exactly like the bikes are using every other weekend of the year uh the more i think there's maybe quite a bit left on the table here um and and if you know the if we're looking for any sort of evidence of that um and perhaps adding more confusion into the confusion into the, the subject, but anyway, I'll say it anyway, is Yomba Visma, who have the S five that they ride for the majority of the year. They have the R five for earlier stages. And then they have the Caledonia that they've typically used for Roubaix over the last couple of seasons. And then this year they're using the soloist. Um and yeah, there's there's just so much going on there. It's like they've uh, the official reason I think they're choosing the soloist is because it's got better tire clearance um but the entire team were riding 30 mil tubeless tires and the s5 is more than capable of taking 33 mil tires so to me there's something in the uh, maybe the stiffness or something from the from the uh, s5 that has them then moving towards the the soloist but i think if you're going to make that step then you know the difference between the soloist and the caledonia in terms of aero i can't imagine it's going to be massive like the caledonia has the basics done right in terms of aero so could be rider preference in terms of geometry or setup or something but yeah um it's very different roubaix than we've seen even that 10 years ago or even more recently than that uh, our uh our friends over at pink bike they did a project 
uh, a couple years ago called the Grim Donut, where they took they basically took mountain bike geometry for like the last 10 years and they just extrapolated, right? So, you know, head tube angles went from 69 to 68 down to like, I mean, most, most even cross country mountain bikes these days are in the sort of like 66, 65 trail bikes are in 64s, 63s even. Anyway, they extrapolated that out like another 10 years, I think it was, and they built that bike. And so it had this crazy long top tube and crazy slack front end. And it was just a ridiculous machine that also turned out to be incredibly fast was part of the fun of, of the, of this project, which brings me to, if you, if you did the same thing with essentially tire widths at Roubaix in the span of 10 years, you've, we've gone from sort of 25s, 28s. I mean, when I first started covering Roubaix. In fact, I should go back and look at some of the early galleries I did as a tech editor at Bella News in like 2011, 2012. There were still 25 mil tires <laughs> at this in this in the start paddock, uh, which feels insane now. And now we're up to, you know, 32s that if you measure them, are, a lot of them are probably actually blowing up to, you know, even a larger than a 32 by a bit. If you extrapolate that out, you end up with like, okay, well, another 10 years, we're going to be riding 40 mil tires at Roubaix, right? Is that something that you think is is feasible, possible? Uh, knowing what we know about rolling resistance and the fact that you can, you know, you could build a forty mil tire that rolls about as fast as thirty two, uh, and particularly as as that technology continues to improve, I think that's a, a reasonable assumption. Aero is going to be less; it's going to feel slower, which is, I think, part of the thing that needs to be overcome all the time. Is the riders need to it needs to feel fast and actually bumpy feels fast. <laughs> So what do you think? Uh, where where do we end up here? Uh, I think it well. I, I think it was as recently as 2018 or 2019 that Alexander Kristoff uh, was like the only rider in Roubaix who had chosen tubeless tires, but had for some reason done so with 25 mil tubeless setup uh, and punctured a bajillion times uh, in the race <laughs> and swore he would never ride tubeless again. And at the time, everybody feared, well, that's it. We're never going to see tubeless used again at, at Roubaix. The problem there was the width. You know, he'd used 25s. Now, when we were rolling around the, walking around the paddock on Saturday and Sunday mornings, um, 28 looked incredibly narrow. There was only a few 28s about. the. I would say the vast majority of the women's peloton were on 30s. And for some reason, tubular tires. Um, well, yeah, actually, the reason I was given for that was that at the lower pressures that um, some of the women were choosing, the 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 tire the tubeless tires were causing a sort of bouncing effect uh, and actually burping a bit, so they're even losing more pressure across the cobbles. And for that reason, the riders preferred uh, tubular. Fast forward to Sunday morning, and you know, bigger riders, heavier riders, the men seem to be choosing uh, almost almost entirely on thirty. To 30s and 32s and tubeless only one team Bal uh, Flanders Balois whatever they're called nowadays were on 28 mil tubs um, and you know the natural uh, progression might seem like we get wider and wider and wider I'm not sure where the tipping point is that is it 32 is it 34 is it 35 that beyond that the rolling resistance starts dramatically increase but I think on the roads that we're racing on here and even the roads a weekend earlier in Flanders, uh, which obviously the cobbles are not as bad, but the the roads between the cobble climbs in Flanders are much, much worse than 
the roads between the cobbled sectors and Roubaix. So I think there's probably um, a lot of riders who were not on 32s who could have been. Uh, yes, it does feel slower, but I think I think that's the biggest barrier right now is is just the the feel of how it rolls. Um, everything that I understand, or everything that, uh, and I haven't I should say I haven't actually tested this on the Roubaix cobbles, so perhaps the teams have. But um, my gut instinct would be these tires are you know so light and so fast nowadays anyway that you can go right up to thirty twos without really a, a significant increase in rolling resistance and potentially actually a decrease in rolling resistance on these roads. But beyond that right now, the limitation, especially on the front wheel, is rim width because you do want to sort of match the tire width to the rim width um, for the sort of for an optimal aerodynamic setup. So, you know, you see a lot of the teams there, even, even Jumbo Visma, for example, they're riding these, those new reserve wheels. I can't remember the exact external measurement on that rim off the top of my head. I think it might be 33 mil. Um, and with a 32 mil tire, really if if you think of cda the cd part is staying the same it's as aero as it was it's just the a part that increases so you're not really paying that much of an aero penalty by putting a big tire in the front but other wheel manufacturers who maybe are still making narrower external rim widths those teams using those wheels are maybe stuck on 30s right now but if those rim widths increase in the in future we could see even you know we, we uh, yeah i i i think the point I'm trying to get to is that if everything else was equal, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if we've seen 34s in, in the near future or, or, or something around around that mark. Which is crazy. Well, <laughs> uh, is it crazy though? Well, it's like, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, yes and no, but, it, but that's officially like, that's that's bigger than you can run in a cross race, right? Like that's, that's bigger <laughs> than the maximum tire size in a cyclocross race. And uh, I mean, that, it's a road race still. Like even if it's even it's even if it's Roubaix, it's still a road race. And I actually brought this up in in our our Sunday evening episode of Placeholders, which was like at some point does the UCI come in and, and put a cap on tire size? And it feels like they might. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe a question for Mick Rogers that weekend. Uh, next time next time we corner him, we can we can chuck that one his way. <laughs> Which, which I should say we did do at Flanders. Uh, but um, yeah, I think we're getting a bit bogged down in tire widths and, and that here. Uh, so I might move it on a little bit. But there's been a lot of talk about, you know, an increase in failure rates um, at, at Roubaix this year. And if I remember right, we had the exact same conversations last year. Um, and, you know, some of the... Some of the criticism tubeless systems have been coming in for at this Roubaix is, you know, that they actually quite a few crashes seem to have been either caused by or partially caused by a, a, a puncture, which then led to a failure of some sort, that's, which then led to a crash. I th- you know, I, I, or or James James was positing that the there was maybe like the tire may have never actually punctured, but if you crack a rim. That's a, I mean, effectively, that's the other way for the, the air to escape, right? And so you can actually have a crash caused by never having a puncture other than puncturing the rim, basically, instead of puncturing the tire, which, I mean, certainly seems like a reasonable hypothesis to me. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's what I was going to get to, is that there, at least, uh, was it Gary and Thomas' podcast this week? They were discussing the same thing. I haven't actually heard it myself, but someone had, had mentioned to me that... Uh, 
Gary and Thomas and Luke Rowe were discussing this and that any of us Grenadiers choose to ride with um, inserts, tire liners, uh, should they puncture then, the on the cobbles, the tubeless tire has a better chance of, of staying seated. Uh, and I think that's... Their, their reckoning was that they choose inserts, but that does come with a three-watt penalty. Um, and other teams may not be doing that because they don't want the, the three-watt penalty of of running these inserts and i'm sort of I, I th- what what struck me and i'm trying to find the right way of saying this but what what struck me oh, and throughout this whole tire conversation over the past two weekends was as forward thinking as the teams are now there's still that element of tradition that sort of it seems to be holding some teams back like three watt penalty for running an insert Fair play to Ineos, they're looking past that because the benefit of being able to ride at lower pressures far outweighs that. You know, you could be talking 10 watts if you're at, the, at a, a suitable pressure. So you've your 7 watt uh, net net gain there. Um, and then you look around and other teams are maybe going to tubeless and not running inserts to save those few watts. And then there's teams looking at tubeless and saying, well, if we need to run inserts, we may as well not bother going tubeless and, and ride tubular and you know, a modern tubular, God knows how much slower in terms of watts that is than, than an optimal tubeless setup. Then we've got AG2R who at Flanders were running a tubeless front and a tubular rear, uh, which, <laughs> so you know, they're, they're, it just struck me time. That. <laughs> that, I really like that vibe. It was kind of like a heart back to the good old days where you had just some random combinations for, for Roubaix. <laughs> and I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you would have had just random stuff that you never would see throughout the rest of the year pop up for a Roubaix weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it just... I I still think that the Peloton is, and you know, these are some of the best riders in the world. So who am I to say that they're they're not they're doing it wrong or whatever? But the rider is still very much in charge of the final say on setup in a lot of teams, and they're not always looking at the data. They're more often than not going on on feel and having spent the last few weeks sort of trying out. 28, 30, 32 mil tires across a range of pressures, across different wheels, across different inner and outer rim widths. I can say that you, I haven't got the data to back it up, but I would be more than confident in saying, uh, especially for the rougher roads that I have around here, which quite, quite, uh, are, are quite similar to the terrible roads that we had in Flanders two weeks ago. Uh, running softer, I just you get home from a ride. Average speed, average power, you know, not very scientific, but there's no noticeable difference in that. But in terms of comfort on the bike, it is huge. And it's most noticeable that going from a 28 hard or 28 tire around 70, 80 PSI down to a 32 at around 50 PSI for the first like three days, every time you get on, it's like, whoa, this is noticeably nicer to ride. It's just (laughs) so much better. Uh, and then after about three days, there's just that that feeling goes away. You just get used to it. Um, and I, you know, I, I I just wonder how much that initial feeling of it, it feels comfier, but that does feel slower, as we all know. Rough and uh, tumble for whatever reason feels faster. So, Ronan, like, what can the average you you can, you're kind of just talking about this, but what can the average person take out of what these pro teams are figuring out around Roubaix now granted we're not riding the Roubaix cobblestones all the time but I mean there's 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 definite takeaways here which is that 
you know, you can win one of the biggest bike races in the world with a 30 plus mil tire. Right. So what does that mean for kind of the rest of us? Uh, it kind of, and I'm <laughs> maybe a little biased in this entire conversation because I have been experimenting a lot recently with forgoing a little bit of frame aerodynamics, let's say, in return for a bigger picture marginal gain. So yes, you want to be, you want to optimize aerodynamics as much as you can, but the riders are all using aero helmets, race suits, overshoes. Well, not overshoes actually, but uh, they're, they're, they're dialed in terms of aero almost everywhere nowadays um and what i've been sort of looking at recently is just you know i have a demand here i've been experimenting with but just how much marginal gains uh are left still left on the table looking at rider comfort and it's a it's a area that pretty much impossible to measure but i'm more and more convinced that actually getting to the finish fresher given given where endurance bikes are at now getting to the finish fresher could be the sort of next opportunity that uh the marketer marketeers jump onto um and and i genuinely think for for good reason uh even down to you know we're we've looked at pros for or we've watched pros for a year with slam stems and you know really low setups on the front end and actually are you more aero if you've got a higher front end and you can sit down into it? Um, are you are you maybe giving up a little bit in aero but gaining so much in terms of comfort um, that you're you're again coming to the, the finish line fresher? Are you maybe not feeling as fast because you're running wider tires at lower pressures, but actually you are just maybe just as fast, lower rolling resistance from from lower pressures and wider tires, and all that combined. You know, could 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 we be, you know, not only comfort more comfortable on our bikes, but actually fresher uh, at the end of our rides, and not really giving up that much aero uh, losses because the endurance bikes nowadays they've got all the truncated tubing, they've got internal cable routing, they've got you know <laughs> you can use wheels across whatever bike you're using, um, and you can you can pull back a bit of that aero by putting on narrower handlebars. Uh, making different uh, adjustments there. So, yeah. I'm going to pull in a bit of experience from somewhere completely different, which is mountain bike racing. And I feel like the mountain bike world is a little bit ahead of the game, as is often the case <laughs> in some of this stuff. Uh, you know, 2.4 tires are are now very much the norm in sort of the mountain bike world. And, and that's a much, much, much larger tire than you would find even sort of you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. And and from a sort of specific uh race right if you take leadville for example which is a you know it's a roadies mountain bike race right right but even so there's a there's a fair number of sort of like long descents where the ability to sit down in the saddle and and recover and all the rest is makes a huge difference and like personally i've done that race a couple different times and i've done it faster on a full suspension bike even though it's like three four pounds heavier every single time uh, and it's, you know, feels slower on the long road sections and it feels slower on lots of important key parts, but overall it ends up being faster because I end up, you know, get to the finish line slightly less worked over than I would otherwise. And I think that that, I, I think you're right, Ronan, and that, I think that that mindset is going to be something that increasingly comes into, comes into road racing in particular at these really long classics. I mean, you know, a 260, 270 K day is a lot different from a 200 K day. And so that's why these, these big monuments are, are maybe going to be treated slightly differently, but 
it, it does feel kind of like the next the next frontier in marginal gains is is okay we've got we've got a pretty good idea regarding rolling resistance we've got very you know dialed in uh theories around aerodynamics what's the next one well you know it's 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 <laughs> not getting worked over by the bike basically and and therefore getting the finish line a little fresher yeah i think that's the other big limitation right now you you, you mentioned there is just weight uh, and there's still so much of a focus on weight within the the pro peloton i don't know if it's true or not but i read somewhere over the weekend i think it was road cc had a quote from mads peterson that he didn't he opted for or he didn't run um double bar tape because it was a waste of extra weight uh, <laughs> which <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that whatever a roll of bar tape weighs, which I have I have checked it before when I was doing the whole Everson thing, I think it's about 21 grams per, per side, <laughs> makes no difference at Roubaix. <laughs> but that's still how much <laughs> that's still how much of a factor, uh, that's still how much weight, pardon the pun, that pro riders do put into how much their, their bike weighs. And, you know, and whatever an extra kilo would make from the heaviest or the lightest bike in uh, uh, the heaviest bike in Roubaix to maybe the lightest bike that you could use in the climbing stage of the tour 40 odd grams is going to make absolutely zero difference um, and you know then extrapolate that to percentage of body weight and it's, it's even t- tinier again like or, or even total system weight body and, and rider combined or body and bike combined um, but the the other big thing that I think we haven't mentioned here is just the extra, you know, in terms of the the rider at home and myself, what I've experienced is the extra grip that you have from wider, softer tires on the road. You know, that's when when you see the likes of uh, Vanderpool's descent off the Poggio, and um, you know, thirty two mil tires. I'm you know, I'm not sure how much effect that would have had over the entire course of Milan San Remo. I think everybody's instinct would be to say that it would be a slower uh, tire for Milan San Remo if it's wider. I'm not as convinced of that as I used to be, but what I am convinced is that it would have been so, so, so much faster in both the descent of the Cipressa and the Poggio. Had that been any way closer, you could, you know, uh, ultimately it made no difference, but had it been closer, you could argue that actually, you know, scenarios like that are where going even wider uh, as a norm across all races um, could be an all around benefit. I want to move on from directly talking about tires and talking about inflating them and deflating them and then inflating them again <laughs> if you really want to. Uh, let's talk about tire pressure management systems, which were a frequent topic of discussion last week. Uh, Jumbo Visma did end up riding some of these things. Uh, Wout van Aert didn't. But I think Christophe Laporte did. In fact, I, I well, we watched him get a rear uh, rear wheel change right in front of us and took took that tire pressure management wheel off. What what's what's the deal with these? There there are some updates to them to make them slightly better for Roubaix. Uh, do you see their use increasing over the next couple of years? Uh, you're asking me like I'm some kind of expert or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of had to keep reminding myself over the, the past two weeks that this is still sort of new news uh, because the the Grava cap system that Jumbo Visma are using in Roubaix and it was Eduardo Affini, Dylan Van Barla, who was last year's Paris-Roubaix winner and Christophe Laporte, who were the three. There was a fourth rider as well, I can't remember who now, from Jumbo Visma, who, who used the 
tire pressure management system. So the, the, these were not, you know, small name domestic riders who were only riding the first 100K and it was a marketing ploy or whatever. You know, genuinely, Christophe Laporte was one of the favorites uh, for, for the race and was willing to, to choose this. But it's two years ago at Eurobike 2021 that we first seen Gravis system. And then you had Team DSM who were using the Scope Atmos that they had teased this time last year before Roubaix. And then Scope had sort of showed it off at Eurobike 2022. So these are systems that we had sort of already seen quite a bit, but actually this is the first time that they were used in competition. And both DSM and Yomba Visma used them on Sunday. And I don't know, I go back and forth whether or not we'll see these used more often. I think for Roubaix, as the technology improves, we will definitely see these more uh, more prevalent, especially with teams like DSM, who it was effectively Team DSM who developed this Atmos system with Scope. So, And they developed specifically for Paris-Roubaix. So presumably, as costs come down, as they can manufacture more of them, the team will will use more of these going forward. Uh, the Yomba Visma, the system that Yomba Visma is using is from a, a Dutch company also called Grava, and they developed their CAPS uh, tire pressure management system. Off the back of the the founder of that company, who had who had watched as uh, I think the story goes that he was doing a a beach race in the Netherlands, had fifteen kilometers of tarmac between beach sections and had watched the race disappear up the road away from as he stopped to adjust his tire pressure and he thought there must be a better way. So that was actually developed for an entirely different use. They, Gravis specifically see beach racing and gravel racing as the key market for their their cap system. But obviously, again, Roubaix uh, presents a big opportunity and they partnered with Yumbo Visma that you know must be we're here talking about it so pretty much as marketing gold we might not be talking about that system otherwise um but the, i guess the question remains will we see it in use throughout the rest of the road season um i think it comes back to everything we just talked about in terms of tradition dictating within pro cycling uh it does both systems add about 500 grams to the to the weight of the bike um which again really is nothing in the grand scheme of things but you don't want to add an extra kilo if you don't have to. And then just the big question of what is the benefit in, in all the races throughout the year. And I am probably not the best person to ask because I'm a tech fan and I probably would at least try it. Uh, I see, again, Flanders, I see, and then in the Cobble Classics for that matter, I, I see plenty of potential. And I think I'm leaning more towards the Grava cap system at the moment. Um and for the simple reason that it's it's almost limitless how much you can use it within a ride, whereas the scope atmos you can only really use it six to eight times. Um, so for that reason, I'm leaning towards the cap system right now. But I haven't actually tried either for any amount of time. Um, so for the cobble classics, yes, for obvious reasons, changing tire pressures between tarmac and and cobbles. But again, coming back to extra grip, like if you if if we could get modern bikes down to 6.8 kilo weight limit uh which we're sort of moving further and further away from it seems but if if we were at a point where 6.8 was the norm again and you had the option of adding in 500 grams um without tapping over eight kilos or whatever you know suddenly you could be looking at again milan san remo perfect perfect option if you could ride at a harder pressure for the for the 
first 290 kilometers of of Milan San Remo and once you get to the top of the pod you'll drop your tire pressure by a bar bar and a half and rail the descent again you know there's I, 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 I think I really do think that the grip and uh, just general tire technology is is, a, is again one of the sort of new frontiers that we're that we're seeing many brands sort of push into and you know if you think again if you give Vanderpool an extra 20% grip on that descent you know he's he already won the race so let's say if you give White Van Aert or Philippe Ogana who struggled a bit on descent if you give Philippe Ogana an extra 20% grip on that descent does he then close the gap to Vanderpool um you know so an extra an extra 500 grams when you consider Ghana is maybe 80 kilos and his bike is seven and a half eight kilos you know an extra 500 grams is nothing <laughs> so um yeah. could could see more of it in the future but probably won't and the systems might get lighter too you never know right like uh i mean I'm, I'm assuming that they're they probably they're need to get cheaper quickly. also at, at yeah. four grand a piece right now um they're 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 not cheap the big problem the big problem that nobody is really discussing is what do you do if you want the classified internal gear system and a tire pressure management system in your hub and you've only got one hub (laughs) those those are the problems we're going to face in future uh wild times wild times (laughs) Uh, what about one by for Roubaix? We saw quite a bit of it, uh, but not but not sort of ubiquitous. Like that's not everywhere, but more more and more every year. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably not the first, but again, it's like so many examples in pro cycling. When somebody wins with something, then it's much quicker adopted. And we've seen Lizzie Dagnan and then Lisa Longo Borghini win the first two editions of Paris Roubaix Femme with one by setups from SRAM. Uh, and then all of a sudden, last year we already seen a few more one by setups in the men's peloton, and this year it was, it, it probably wasn't quite 50 percent uh, of the peloton one by, but it wasn't far behind. Like there was entire teams, like Uno X, where the entire squad was running uh, one by chain rings from the the British brand Pyramid Cycle Design, and most of the team were riding fifty six one bys. Uh, Alexander Kristoff was on a fifty four. You had Anthony Turgis running a drag to zero, 56 tooth, one by chain ring over at Total Energies. Uh, pretty much every SRAM rider in the race was on a one by setup, and most of them were running 54s. Uh, and, and the reasons are sort of, well, there's there's an aero benefit because you have no front to radiator and you've only one chain ring. But I think the bigger reason is just that the extra chain retention you get from the narrow wide uh, tooth profile is is it's a couple of things factored together that are seeing teams now move to, to one by, but chain retention is definitely a big one on the cobbles. Would you run one by? I mean, like I have previously built the perfect Roubaix bike and yes, I had one by on it and had a 54 tooth one by SRAM chain ring there. So I'm not saying that, you know, that they're also looking to the stuff that I've built in the past and, and then seeing Diagonal <laughs> and Borghini one on them, but maybe who knows? <laughs> What would your perfect Roubaix bike be now? What would it like for for racing it? If you were going to be in the actual race, you know, because mm. yeah, previously uh, in a previous life in a previous place, you built one that had a Lauf fork on it, like suspension fork on it, it which was, was lovely, the perfect. I, I like riding it. Bike. Yeah, yeah, that was the perfect Roubaix sportive bike. So, what about the perfect Roubaix race 
bike. Where are we at today? If you could pick from, you know, anybody sponsoring anybody in the world tour, so any of the bikes that were floating around the paddock Sunday, Saturday morning, what would you, what would you build? Um, I mean, frustratingly at the time I had emailed Grava maybe two, three, four times to try and get a gravel wheel set for that bike also to have the tire pressure management system um, and just never got a reply. So uh, that didn't happen. Um, but it would have been nice now to be looking back going, yeah, all these guys rolling it this year. We had it a year ago, but whatever. Um, I, I don't think much would change, to be honest. I, I mean... Well, describe they, it. For, for anybody who missed the, that, the previous life and previous story, mm-hmm. yeah frame first what what frame would you build it around so last year i had gone with a trek domani uh and it was the what gen 2 gen 3 gen 3 i think now we've got the gen 4 domani uh which you know has if i recall correctly has a deeper head tube taller bottom bracket area um slightly more aero or at least claimed to be more aero so i probably would up uh, although i'm not even convinced on that big because the ISO speed system that the Domani previously had was one of the main reasons I had had cho- chosen that. Um, so yeah, like basically, I'd gone for an endurance bike with sort of comfort and compliance features uh, to smooth out the cobbles, and then tried to arrow everything around it. Uh, so gone for narrower handlebars again would do that. That's kind of a no-brainer. I'd chosen 40s last year probably would go much narrower this year uh something flared bearing in mind that you spend most of the time on the cobbles actually on the tops um so that that to me is a no-brainer uh add wireless blips in there or satellite shifters if you're using di2 again because you're on the tops and what i learned last week is if you know you you really do want shifting up there actually if i was going back i'd probably want cross top brake levers up there also uh and then the big one for me was just aero optimizing like the wheels and the tire setup so we'd gone for uh the hunt limitless 48s because off the top of my head they were like the widest wheels that i had access to at the time had last year used 33 mil tires um so wouldn't change that uh probably would include inserts now um having used inserts since then uh i'm definitely a convert um run slightly lower pressure you like i should also say that a big part of Roubaix is just having the confidence that you're not going to break your equipment if you're having to babysit your bike across all the sectors that consumes a considerable amount of energy and you're also just not as confident in following closely on the wheel and when i did the recon with trek segafredo last week i, I was like it was effectively the same bike, didn't have the life fork, but uh, it's effectively also now my bike. Uh, and I didn't want to break it, and I didn't want to damage the wheels. So I was really tentatively picking my line through the cobbles. If you have confidence, if you have a tire insert in there and you know you're not going to break the rim with a with a, a strike on the cobbles, then you know you can you can just wheel faster into it without without that concern. Um, and then you know we we already had the one by setup, so probably keep that the same also. Um, so it, I'm not sure a great deal would actually change. I'm also having a bit of a mind blank now. I, I do know there was some other frame since then that I thought also, oh, that could work, but I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. What about bars? What would you do with bar? Would you would you do double wrap bar tape and arrow bars with flat tops? What what would you do? Um, I I haven't tried them yet, but I would like to try the 
the Aero Coach Arnix, the new handlebars from Aero Coach are like 32 centimeters wide at the at the hoods and 36 at the <laughs> drops. Uh, and yeah, I probably would run double wrap just for old time's sake. Like Vanderpool had double wrap bar tapes, uh, bar tape on on Sunday, and yeah, that was that, that was literally he had he, yeah Vanderpool had 32 mil tires, uh, so wider tires and an extra wrap of bar tape were literally the only differences to uh, the entire Alpus and Tequinix squad, uh, their bikes for Milan San Remo three weeks earlier. That's wild. It, mm. How times have changed. How times have changed. <laughs> All right, one of the last things I want to ask you about here, Ronan. Uh, this has been really obvious to anybody who's looked at a professional race bike in the last like year or so. Uh, I don't know who we have to thank for this. I don't know if it's... Dan Bigham or Taco Vanderhorn or I don't I don't know who who gets the blame, but but they the, they um, might see it as credit. Who gets the credit? I well I they they welcome to, but I see it as blame. <laughs> uh, I what what about the inward pointed levers? What what? I mean the why is obvious because it's essentially they're trying to get around the ban of the puppy paws, right? And and trying to essentially get into like a almost like an arrow bar type position. But also, uh, well, you you were experimenting with this, with the sort of angled in levers. What, what was what were your conclusions? Yeah, I I started trying it um, more so because uh, there's a rider local to myself here who who races at a decently high level here in Ireland, and he was very very keen for me to give him a bike fit on, despite me not being a professional bike fitter. Um, and not doing bike fits at all. He was very keen for me to do his his bike fit on a new bike they'd got for this race season, and he was very keen to go with very narrow handlebars, which I'm totally in agreement with, but he's also very keen on inward angled levers, and I am not. I don't like inward angled levers. I'll get to why in a second, um, but it kind of just struck me at the time. I was like, you know, first of all, I... I, I our philosophies are so different on bike fit. I was like, maybe I'm not the best person to be doing your bike fit. You should probably go to someone else who will give you what you want because that's also important when it comes to bike fit. Um, but so off the back of that, rather than just hate on it, I thought I'd better try this out and get a bit of experience for myself. And I am all for narrow handlebars. Um, I, I really haven't tried everything from 44s right down to 32s. I, at least for me personally, it's something you very quickly get used to. And after, again, much like we were saying earlier about softer tires and comfier frames, something that after a couple of days you just don't notice anymore. Um, but what I did find was when I angled the levers in, at first it does feel great. I, you know, I, I was like, oh, oh, I might have to admit this is actually quite good. Uh, and then when you try to ride in the narrow position with your forearms, well, that's in case the UCI is listening. Let's let's say with your forearms on but not on the the, the tops of the handlebars, uh, and you can you know if you especially if if you've got your levers angled in and pointed down, you can really quite closely mimic the time draw position, uh, and it presumably is significantly faster, uh, and it it's. You, you basically, by having your levers in and down, you take a lot of the pressure off your upper arms, uh, which tend to fatigue if you try to hold that aero position um, with a normal lever setup. Um, and yeah, at first I was like, actually, this is this is fine. You get used to it. Again, 
steering wasn't all that affected. But what I never got used to was just trying to accelerate or attack out of the saddle with the levers angled. And I just never really felt like I had um, the same sort of grip or, or, or pull on the, on the handlebars. And I sort of put that down to, well, it's probably just a me thing. All the riders must be fine with it if they're winning bike races with, with the setup. So whatever. But ultimately, I decided I don't like this because it was only, you know, a week after a week, two weeks, maybe I could have had it for about three weeks with the inward levers. I noticed time and time again when I had to react quickly and brake very hard, uh, you know, be that coming to a roundabout and a, a vehicle comes out of nowhere or comes out of the other side of the roundabout and I had to react quickly or for whatever reason, I just didn't, I couldn't react as quickly and get on my brakes as quickly as I would otherwise. And... Yeah, that for that for that reason, I can't imagine that changes for for others all that much. It it you you do load up your hands a little bit more than you do with straighter levers, um, and the and the levers are not designed to be used at that you know really aggressive inward angle. Um, and as much as I'm all for the arrow gains and the tech gains and all that, ninety nine percent of the time this is one time that I really can't get on board with it you know the the modern lever already has a sort of inward swoop to it and then you sort of you have some riders who go to the absolute extreme having them pointed all the way in and you just i just don't believe you can operate your brakes as efficiently as when they're in the position that they're designed to be used and couple that with the fact and and perhaps more frustratingly for me is that so often you see riders with their uh, like levers angled in for the aero gains but then their elbows pop out, uh, and and it's it's that you know you ask anybody you ask Dan Bigham or you ask uh, Tackle Vanderhorn or Campen Arts or Aero Coach or whoever they will all tell you that narrow bars and inward angle levers only work if you can keep your elbows in also, uh, and if you lengthen your stem so you've got the same reach and you're getting your torso angle down, that's when you get the arrow gains. If you just like switch to narrow bars and inward angle levers and then you're your torso pops up and your elbows pop out you're probably slower than you were with the with the older setup so um yeah i don't know i i would not be surprised if we see the uci do something about about the, the lever I, the, I, I was about to say i don't know what they could do because it would be very hard to police but that's never stopped them before so um <laughs> i mean all i have to do is set set a measurement between the back of the hood and the front of the hood that needs to be similar right or within a within a centimeter or something like that right and, and then they get ridiculed because they've got some device like the sock height measurement tool that this is <laughs> but you focus on the proper stuff uh you know so to a certain extent the uci can't win when it comes to these things um but yeah um well but we would cheer them on if they did this one and we usually don't do that <laughs> we so. usually don't do that <laughs> I, I, it's funny, like I, I spent most of my, so the last couple of years of my road racing life, which is now a, a decade ago with very slightly inwardly tilted, uh, like mostly SRAM I was ride, riding at that point, like for some red back then. Um, and I really liked it cause I just, it sort of like just worked with my wrist angle, but it, it was very much like a, you know, it was a couple degrees. It wasn't, it wasn't 45 degrees pointed inward. Uh, so I'm not like I'm not opposed to it just blanket needs you know for aesthetic reasons needs to be pointed perfectly straight I think that's that's a silly argument but uh, it's more about for me it's about yeah, being able to grab the brakes is is kind of an important thing and 
it is humorous i think that it feels like a response to the puppy paws rule uh the invisible arrow bars rule and the sort of unintended consequences that things like that can have right you never really know people are going to find ways around the rules that you that you make basically and yeah like a big part of the uci's reasoning at the time of bringing in the puppy paws rule was that kids are trying it at home effectively you know not in as many words but that was certainly part of the, the reasoning if i remember correctly uh and as you said here's one of the unintended consequences and i i i don't want to see anything banned for the pros because people are trying at home that that, that to me you know the pros are also descending at breakneck speeds down alpine descents and we don't go trying that at home if we can't do it so that to me is not a good enough reason uh, to be banning anything um and i'm not even calling for a ban on this i think it just needs a, a little bit of you know rider policing almost if we could have such a thing where you just we we all just accept right this is maybe you know and, and i'm sure there will be people who come back to this podcast and comment on it or whatever and say i can reach my brakes just fine and you know, maybe it is just a me thing but uh that is at least my experience and the experience of a heck of a lot of other people who have who have asked um and and so i'm not a fan of it the other one trend i want to touch on there uh, before we just close out the podcast was just crank length which was something i did in one of the flanders Roubaix or flanders galleries um because i think that's another area that we're seeing to be or beginning to see a bit of a shift and um and at the moment it's still kind of absolutely seems almost random what what you'll find everything from uh, actually maybe just one set of 175s across the entire peloton and i didn't get to check check all the bikes but there certainly seem to be almost no 175 cranks anymore 170s and 172s are still the most common um but we are starting to see uh outliers like jack bar who is over one meter 90 tall on 170 cranks which you probably wouldn't have seen a rider that tall running that short of cranks previously um a couple of riders on on 165s um but i think you know we're we probably will see more of that in future as well if we go around and, and check time trial bikes at the tour i'm sure you'll spot a few 155s and 160s uh, and much like you're you know we we're saying about mountain biking earlier sort of being ahead of the game time trialing also tends to be that way and i think we might see uh, that feed into to road racing going forward also because again you know I, I do think we're sort of maxing out the arrowness for lack of a better term of the frames and riders are going to start looking for other ways and popping on shorter cranks and getting your torso angle down lower um is, is one way you can go about that with, something to keep an eye with, on without affecting without affecting your braking control <laughs> which is not something we, we want to happen well thanks running for uh for the deep rundown there's a whole pile of galleries uh up on escapecollective.cc go check those out there's, there's more coming i think right uh yes and, and lots of lots of classics tech stuff from the last couple of weeks so go check that out become a member if you aren't already as we've said a million times, uh, that's how that's how we fund this entire operation. So please do go join. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Ronan, uh, well, we'll be back next week, right? With another Geek Warning? Yeah, not sure who's on next week's Geek Warning, but uh, some of us will be back. <laughs> Somebody will be back. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.